0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus, and if you've been a regular listener of this podcast, then perhaps you remember the September 2021 episode I had with Akhil Berry about Sri Lanka, its economic situation, the role the pandemic had played in the political economy, and what the outlook was. And in that conversation, Akhil had mentioned that a lot of things were sort of on the edge Um, in the island nation, and and things could go either way, and the outlook was not looking that strong. Fast forward to today in March 2022, um, and things really have hit an inflection point. There's an economic crisis in Sri Lanka. It's been in the headlines in terms of what's going on. The economic situation is leading to a political crisis, and so I figured that it's time that we revisit what's going on over there and understand Um, the causes and the implications of the economic crisis in the island nation, and what the path forward looks like. So joining me today is Asanga Abayagunasekara. He's a senior fellow at the Millennium Project and an international security analyst from the country. He's led two government think tanks providing strategic advocacy in the country, and he was the founding director general of the National Security Think Tank under the Ministry of Defense in Sri Lanka. He's also author of Sri Lanka at a Crossroads, uh, which is a book if you want to learn more about the country, you perhaps may want to buy it and take a look. Um, And so um, I'm looking really forward to this conversation to understand what's going on. So Asanga, thank you so much for taking out the time today and joining us here in Pakistan. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. I want to start with basically an understanding of what's going on in Sri Lanka. Obviously, there have been, you know, I've been getting WhatsApp messages of pictures and headlines about what's going on. Pakistanis themselves are concerned about what's going on in Sri Lanka, less so about the events on the island nation, but also more so about sort of what it foreshadows for Pakistan's own economy, which is no stranger to the IMF and debt and being in this state of crisis on the political economy front. So help us understand what the latest developments are, where things stand today, and and what's going on in Sri Lanka?
1: Well, um, there's a serious economic crisis, uh, as you must have seen from the news everywhere from around the world, uh, they're reporting on the crisis. The the depth of the crisis uh, is quite, uh, I would say, very serious. Uh, It has affected um, the uh, lower, the middle class, and many in the society. Uh, you, you hear deaths uh, already reporting, uh, senior citizens have died, waiting for fuel uh, for long hours, uh, around eight hours of power cuts. You have, uh, you know, children without, um, you know, uh, without the examination newspaper, uh, news, uh, sorry, examination uh, papers, so been cancelled. So multiple uh, uh, serious uh, issues like uh, the essential food items are not there, so uh, basically not available for, and um, uh, you have protest, uh, which is in Colombo as well as uh, even yesterday. Uh, So what you have is like thousands of people gathering, protesting uh, with this crisis. So uh, you have economic crisis, which has triggered from, a liquidity problem as well as the insolvency problem so the liquidity issue is clearly on the, the there's no foreign reserves uh, left uh, basically uh, what we uh, the sri lanka requires about 6 billion uh, 6.9 billion this year but then uh, what is what is what is left is like um, the, about 6.9 billion of debt is uh, remaining and so what the the uh, the reserves that Sri Lanka has is less than two billion right now. So uh, we have a serious issue of uh, bringing the imports in, paying for the imports, and um, then you have uh, dysfunctionality, uh, which is uh, which is a serious issue. Which uh, I mean, we saw as researchers, many of them did see uh, um, not only on the economic front but also on the political front uh some of my writings like the uh, coming anarchy in sri lanka which was published last year in june uh saw the deterioration of the human rights uh, uh space as well as democratic uh, space where the centrifugal forces such as the you know the demo the demo, uh, impacting the democracy um the autocratic uh, footprint growing with the heavy militarization so those are all part of it, um, the dysfunctionality. So the economic crisis, uh, I think was an eye opener for the government to look at various uh, you know, stakeholders now um, and uh, to address it. So it's a serious situation. Uh, people are dying, so people need the essential foods, but then to get the essential foods even from the uh, port uh, where uh, has been quite difficult because to uh, you know the a lot of fun, the the institutions are not functioning properly, the government institutions. So whatever assistance to get it to the uh, to the common people as well as the uh, the general public has been quite difficult. This is, it's a huge challenge, and it is happening at the sort of tail end of the pandemic, and we suffered from the pandemic and heavily as a as a nation that depends on tourism mainly uh, so it's it's been multiple uh, effects that has sort of been going and then the um, the regime's uh, position i would call it an inward uh, a prescription a political uh, nationalist prescription inward policy that they um, adopted uh, had sort of ripple effects
0: so help me understand this so <clears throat> The Rajapaksa brothers have been in power before, Um, and so the parallel that I have being a Pakistani American is that, you know, Pakistan has had the Sharif brothers who've been in power, and they're actually vying for power again right now as we speak, um, and Imran Khan is facing pressure, but their pitch, so to speak, to the elites and the non-elite segments of society is that we know how to govern, and so when I look at the Rajapaksas, I'm like, okay, well, they've been in power before, they know how to govern. So what has it is it that has gone wrong in this insular approach, inward-looking approach of the current government um, that perhaps people like me who very loosely follow Sri Lanka um, did not see coming? Because from the outside, I'm like, well, they've been here before, so why is it that the political system is unable to grapple with the seriousness of the challenge that, it, that exists in Sri Lanka today.
1: Well, there's a difference between uh, the, the two brothers' uh, regimes, I would say. I, I served uh, as the executive director of the Foreign Policy Think Tank during uh, Mahinda Rajapaksa's entire term, that is 2005-15. Um, so if you at, analyze the, the both regimes, the foreign policy tilt is quite the same, which is a China tilt, uh, which Mahinda um, also practice, which Gotabe is also practicing. But when it comes to the uh, economic policy, as well as the, uh, um, the, uh, you know, the, the policies that Mahinda uh, tried to sort of, uh, uh, you know, the political dimensions, uh, I would say the political uh, economic policies uh, adopted were more practical. I would say, and uh, which uh, his ministers didn't leave him. I mean, that was that is the best sort of, uh, uh, I would say, um, the barometer you can have. Uh, because here, uh, you have three ministers resigning, already two resigned uh, weeks ago, then one uh, senior minister in January. So during Mahindra's time, actually, the, he managed to keep the politics uh, going. The two, uh, the two terms that he served, ending a war, uh, you know, 30-year war, a civil war, uh, his popularity was uh, quite a high, very high pay, uh, during 2009 after the end uh, with the Sinhalese Buddhist majority. And then the minority uh, community also, he managed to, uh, you know, somewhat keep them uh, with the, uh, to listen to them as well as with the political establishment. There were concerns on human rights, there were issues on various uh, democratic backsliding, even during his time. Uh, but I think uh, due, because of his political maturity of being 30 years in politics, he managed to keep everyone, uh, basically, by uh, keeping keep them as well as, uh, you know, uh, manoeuvre, uh, I would say, uh, during uh, his tenure. So. Here, you have uh, heavy militarization going on, like 28 military appointments, which Mahinda never had. And he kept the military out of politics. And uh, he never appointed uh, in this scale. So you have a foreign secretary who is military. You have several others who are military right now. Then you have a solution also, like if something goes wrong, they have a military appointment, like the director general for essential services is a military. So Mahinda never did that. So I think because of his maturity in politics, understanding what uh, how you know the Sri Lankan uh, political environment. So uh, here, what you have is Kotabe coming as um, uh, very uh, I will say he comes in uh, with a two-third majority, and uh, um, um, the, the the problem is that I think uh, the, the the heavy autocratic sentiments uh, that he tried to bring in to the uh, the regime, such as the removing of checks and balances at the beginning of his regime uh, from the parliamentary, like different institutions, um, and then you have uh, heavy militarization. Uh, So the the interference uh, to the bureaucracy, as well as multiple uh, concerns, the uh, arrests that was made from the PTA. the, uh, that's the Prevention of Terrorism Act, which they use in Sri Lanka for extrajudicial arrest. So when I read the human rights uh, report, even this time, uh, which was from the uh, Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights, uh, absolutely, what she has captured is uh, true. So there is a serious concern that's going on, uh, which is uh, kind of a stealth operation. But uh, you see, the autocracies also uh, has a sort of a learning curve, they also grow. And what uh, what you have to, I think, the what I understand is that there is a significant difference uh, between the uh, two brothers. But Mahinda's time and uh, Gotabia's time, um, you see more brothers joining as well as there's six. Uh, so totally there are four brothers and then you have the sons of them also. So I would say the, the highest number of uh, the cabinet appointments um, uh, from a you know, family uh, ruled countries in Sri Lanka, so uh, the the top down, the heavy I would say uh, vertical uh, political axis which they try to create has a concern with the uh, you know the the uh, Sri Lanka's democratic institutions as well as the bureaucracy and ways are they you know uh, so uh, to function so it 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 was a serious impediment. Uh, and which it became, and now it's very clear. So uh, so that's that's actually the, the difference.
0: One of the things I, I remember from uh, my conversation with Akhil um, a few months ago was, you know, his point about policies in agriculture and broader economy uh, that were going to cause trouble down the path. And I would love for you to sort of help us understand um, where is it exactly on the economic front Um, that the government has faltered over the last few months and and a year or so, Um, and and that has exacerbated the, perhaps the crisis that Akhil saw coming uh, at that time. Um, And I wanna get to the foreign policy China slant in just a moment, but domestically, what is it that you think on the economic front are areas where perhaps poor decision-making and insular approach, an approach that perhaps was not as mature as the previous governments um, has led to a higher cost being exacted of the Sri Lankan people?
1: Uh, definitely, so uh, Akhil's uh, uh, observation on the fertilizer crisis is a very good example on the inward nationalist policies uh, that impacted um, the country as well as the agriculture sector. Then uh, you have multiple uh, inward uh, approaches taken one is uh, the losing of the uh, the millennium challenge corporation grant uh, which was a very clear example which i have pointed in my writings as well as uh, even 6 7 months ago i have uh, mentioned several times about it so what really happened was the when gotabe rajapaksa came into power so he appointed a presidential commission to look at the usmcc grant and then the commission came up. Uh, with a concocted, uh, uh, basically what the regime wanted to hear. So uh, saying that there's a national security threat from the MCC.
0: So which I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you here, which is also a typical tactic of authoritarian governments all over the world when they don't want to do something, it's a national exactly. security threat.
1: Exactly. So national security became the serious uh, main theme of Kotabe because here is uh, a leader who came to power uh, after a terrorist attack, which is 2019 east Sunday terror attack, who got so popular. Because what happened was the, uh, the, uh, the, the centripetal forces that uh, after the 2019 east Sunday attack, where a community wanted to come together to see a solution was uh, taken by, I would say politicized and taken by the na- ultra-nationalist uh, thing that this is the solution where a military leader, uh, sort of a, with a military background, is required so the two-thirds majority came uh, in this sort of environment so the ultra nationalists uh, position was from the the nationalist uh, groups nationalist sentiments that you know that the part of the political establishment unfortunately losing MCC grant um, you know polit- uh, weaponizing it saying that it is a it is a, a serious scenario national security threat. Then you have the East Container Terminal, uh, again, uh, with the tripartite agreement with Japan, India. um was swapped now to the West Container Terminal. So you're losing time, you're losing money, you're losing investments. Uh, then the Japanese LRT, the light railway train. So again, seen as you know, uh, not uh, a feasible uh, project. But working, uh, what I saw was that my analysis during that time was, how did the Chinese win so many projects, and how did the others keep losing it? So while uh, China' access was, uh, was 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 becoming stronger, as well as the uh, sphere of influence of the Chinese was getting um, much stronger, and the, the best example is the port city. Uh, port city is a is a project that is done in Colombo, and uh, it is a uh, is it was a recla- it was a reclaimed land uh, from the sea. And uh, quite a, I mean, it was a massive project uh, comparing to all the other projects in Sri Lanka. So the what the Chinese did was uh, they managed to win uh, the uh, basically uh, territory of a special economic zone uh, with the extra jurisdictional rights and from the Gotarbe uh, Rajapaksa regime.
0: So here is the
1: president who came uh, with the election manifesto saying that he would negotiate with the Chinese, even to get back the Hambanto report uh, or reduce the uh, the terms. So if you if you look at the his election manifesto, uh, he came to power from that, uh, saying promising to the people. But then again, there is no negotiations with the Chinese. So I mean, nowhere. Uh, I mean, I've been looking at several BRI projects. So once it's signed, it's signed. So 99 years we have given food to Chinese in Hamathod huh? and Port City also. Uh, the commission that was established, the special economic zone. There is no uh, even the future leaders will not be able to revisit them. So the, the, there is a danger that I see in my work. Basically, my work focuses on mainly on China in South Asia and China in Sri Lanka. So that I see where uh, the Indians called Abrahm you know, who coined the word uh, debt trap, and uh, I add something to the debt trap that because. What they there is an issue of debt trap, debt trap doesn't uh, uh, basically capture the non financial aspects. Uh, So, my work has been on the non financial aspects that there I call it, there is a strategic trap uh, rather than a debt trap. Uh, Debt trap argument has been sort of you know, um, there's very various versions from coming out from different countries saying that the commercial loans are much higher than the Chinese and sort of. Even in Sri Lanka, uh, some of the academics do speak about it, uh, looking at the data. Uh, but the the concern here is the strategic trap. Uh, for example, there is an airport in uh, Sri Lanka without any flights uh, coming in near the uh, near the uh, near the uh, the port of Hambantota, but uh, built uh, closer to uh, you know a wildlife sanctuary. And there is no operations going on for the last, you know, six, seven years or eight years. Um, why is that? So there is a strategic uh, dimension to it, these projects uh, that I see that China would definitely benefit out of these projects. And even in Hambantota, uh, the the ninety nine years, uh, you know, the lease that they have, uh, you, know, you know, they managed to secure. Is a is is a great sort of uh, asset uh, i would say to the Chinese and while the present leaders would say that we will not uh, we will not allow China to establish a military establishment, you know uh, base or whatever but there is no guarantee for the future leaders uh, to you know make it uh, a military establishment just like what happened in Djibouti so what I, my analysis is that 20 to 30 years, which are my new book is uh, of The Conundrum of an Island, which I speak about these things. So on strategic assets and how the strategic assets uh, could be used for strategic traps. So these are areas that I think a lot of other countries also could learn in South Asia. And um, that Sri Lanka, we the problems of the Rajapaksas is that even Mahindra's Rajapaksas, you immediately uh, he, he starts with a balanced uh, non-aligned foreign policy where even in his election manifesto in 2005, he mentioned about non-aligned essence, non-aligned, you know, Sri Lanka is a non-aligned country. We need to have a balanced foreign policy. But when it comes to practice, he, uh, you, you, there is a serious bandwagoning with the uh, Chinese that I see. And that has multiple effects to the economy, to the politi- political, political space and also the, even the political space from the political party. And Gotabe's last conversation, like the phone conversation with President Xi, where he says that he would like to uh, implement the Chinese development model. So these are sort of uh, new experiments done to, in a democracy, but then you have to be extremely careful. Uh, because how I see is that even China is also doing their own experiments still. So um, they're trying to get it right, and uh, Sri Lanka is not in a position to uh, support Chinese human rights uh, issues in Xinjiang, which our foreign secretary did. He he spoke, uh, is the first time in in our history that a foreign secretary has spoken in defense of of China's uh, Xinjiang. China has always stood with Sri Lanka on the even this time and the Human Rights Council, China has supported uh, Sri Lanka. So it's sort of a reciprocal arrangement. But the countries that support uh, Sri Lanka, unfortunately, Syria, Russia, North Korea, and uh, while the government keeps this insular or inward looking policy saying that basically not welcoming any of the observations or uh, from the international community. Uh, so I think the, it needs a sort of uh, recalibration of its policies, the inward-looking policies, the, from the economic, from the political. So um, I see some progress, uh, which is the all-party president uh, recently announced and had this all-party conference where all political party leaders were invited. So that's in the right direction. And I, again, uh, for the last few months, uh, there has been some improvements on the Balancing Act uh, with China as well as India and uh, the uh, IMF. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, those are all positive signs.
0: I wanna sort of double click on something that you said about you know manifestos saying one thing about non-aligned sort of positions on foreign policy and things then not working out. The way that perhaps the manifesto indicated as a Pakistani, I'm no stranger to that myself. Um, but one of the things that I've thought about and would love your thoughts on this is that, you know, obviously there's a strategic dimension to Chinese financing, there's debt trap diplomacy, as others have argued, um, but that sort of disconnects the agency countries like Sri Lanka and its political elites perhaps have. Um, and I would love your thoughts on. Why is it or what is it that causes elites to perhaps ignore these risks um, that their own country faces through these choices that they're making? Because it's it's not just a one-way street, right? Obviously, China, like any major power, will exercise influence and demand strategic and non-strategic payouts um, based on the investments or loans or things that it's giving to a country like Sri Lanka or Pakistan or other parts of the world. But why is it that perhaps leaders ignore the peril of those choices and not sort of make choices that would be optimal for their own national security interests?
1: Well, it's it's a very uh, important question as well as uh, valuable insights uh, from that question that you can draw. I mean, if you look at the recent uh, Carnegie report, uh, which uh, Deb uh, did, uh, it was really, uh, I mean, this talks about the agency. Uh, how the Chinese have managed to, um, you know, establish the, uh, sort of their relationship with different uh, political elites, as well as different, uh, you know, uh, groups uh, in the society. They, uh, um, if you look at in Sri Lankan case, uh, it's uh, a clear capture of the elites uh, from the Chinese. Uh, how did the capture happen? is because of the massive Chinese investments that's going on. Um, For example, the highway network, uh, where uh, you have different uh, groups in the society who has benefited uh, from these projects. Not only the politicians, but also the other uh, stakeholders of these projects, uh, such as the construction uh, subcontractors, um, multiple uh, sort of stakeholders. So you have, I mean, China became the largest, uh, I mean, the partner, I would say, the trade partner in Sri Lanka, surpassing India. Uh, when, he, but the uh, the concern here is that the capture, how did the how the manages uh, through their projects, the large, if you look at the infrastructure projects, uh, from highways, water, power, uh, telecommunications. Uh, if you look at the entire Sri Lankan. I mean, we we tried to map in one of our projects back in 2021. Um, and that was a project uh, which we did for USA, as well as uh, several other uh, you could see that um, the Chinese um, uh, expansion or the influence going into various, various uh, districts of Sri Lanka, as well as sectors. Um, uh, China has a, uh, I would say, a strategy uh, when it comes for payments, I would say the opaqueness, the transparency. uh, So the way they practice uh, uh, their models, for example, now China gave $2.5 million uh, recently for the economic crisis uh, in Sri Lanka. but that uh, even even if you look at the Argentinian case, now there was Argentina received 45 billion from IMF this month. Again, China is also funding Argentina. Uh, but the, the, see, the these are not the same. I think Sri Lanka what needs to understand is from the models that's happening from outside, they're not the same, sort of what the Chinese trying to do, 2.5 is not the same as what the IMF trying to do sort of the bailout and those uh, assistance are probably for the chinese projects to sustain and maybe for uh, you know their development because the conditionalities of this um, assistance has to be read so they would the ambassador has mentioned about the 2.5 that we had given to uh, 1 billion last year so the, it's important to understand the conditionalities uh, because of the opaqueness uh, of these uh, loans. So I think the, um, there is a pattern that was uh, discovered from the Carnegie report, uh, which is really, really important that to, you know for most of the South Asian uh, countries. So the corruption is also a serious issue uh, where the political elites uh, could be captured. and. Uh, it's a, it's a serious concern that is going on. And China needs to improve its processes. And um, so that's something that uh, the host countries need to do that. So because even the airport uh, example, which I gave you that China has built, uh, what the Chinese say is that if the request was from the China, Sri Lankan government, that you wanted the airport, well, we build the airport. So you wanted the port, we build the port. Yeah, so it's uh, again, so if we requested, we should have also, a, I mean, we should have a mechanism to assist their processor and how to better, uh, a better way to sort of do these projects, uh, the processes has to improve, definitely. So mm-hmm. if if it continues like this, then you'll we'll see much more.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I remember an interlocutor once told me was like, you know, The Chinese may be giving, let's say, a billion dollars for payment support, but essentially that money, um, it goes from one bank account in Beijing to another, while the loan shows up on the balance sheet of the state bank. Um, And that has to be paid by the taxpayers eventually, or in strategic terms eventually, uh, by the country that is taking out the loan, but the money never lands in the country itself. It it echoes what you were just saying and describing as well. You mentioned the two and a half billion coming from the Chinese state of affairs with the IMF where things stand. Obviously Sri Lanka needs immediate balance of payment support. And so help us understand what the state of play there is. Um, How much money is it that in currently in the gap that needs to be bridged? Um, Who are the contenders providing the support and what is the status of the IMF program? I think
1: Sri Lanka needs a sort of a, the objective uh, strategy uh, here, because what we have is uh, an economy, we don't even back then, so many a year ago, it was clearly understood that uh, even before Gotabe that the uh, Rajapaksas regime, uh, so I mean, he, his inward policies were definitely part of the issues, but then he did inherit uh, a, se- a serious fragment of, you know, a dysfunctionality coming from, the previous regimes also including his brothers, uh, you know, uh, the projects uh, which didn't generate much income, you borrow so much, but then there is no income coming out of these projects.
0: So I'm yeah, sorry to interrupt again here, but I would just add it's also I don't know about Sri Lanka, but I've seen this in other BRI projects is that while the cost of the project is or the loans are in dollar denominated terms the income is in local currency, which in and of itself causes a balance of payments crisis as well. Absolutely
1: correct. That's that's what, the, I mean, that's an uh, direct impact to the uh, issue right now. We are borrowing, we are building uh, infrastructure. There's no returns. But then the returns uh, are in local currency. But then it doesn't generate much. I mean, why would you build the airport, 500 million, then you don't have anything. You don't have flights coming in. So that, I mean, it's a huge, uh, I would say, a burden to the economy. So what you have is, uh, and also the income that's uh, from the, uh, the, that the government can generate, which is from the taxes and all that, a bare minimum. So it, it cannot function, the economy cannot function in this manner. So, IMF would definitely bring some objective perspectives, how to bring this economy back again to a sustainable manner, Uh, rather than just borrowing from uh, X, Y, Z countries and collecting the funds, but then you know how to sort of what to do with these funds rather than settling the next default. Uh, It's not about settling the next default. I think Sri Lanka needs a long term objective uh, strategy, because the the projects that the, at least we, we learned a lesson right now, I mean, all of them have learned a lesson, uh, including the regime, as well as the others. So it's an eye-opener uh, for all of the policymakers there. I mean, uh, I would say even in the previous regime or the ones before. So to understand not to invest in, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, the the projects that you can't generate any, uh, uh, any 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 sort of income as well as um, even the port city have uh, massive you know infrastructure they would develop uh, when i when i did interview the um, the chinese uh, managing director of the port city he clearly mentioned that that there will be european investors coming in there will be us investors coming in uh but where are they so for the last two years they have not been in the, in the site there is no european investor in the port uh, city so there are questions uh, those are questions that the sri lankan government actually uh, should be asking um the the thing of the the the, uh, the issue the biggest problem that i see is that the uh, you know when these uh, concerns are raised by researchers or critical thinking so uh, so you see that the autocratic sentiments, you know, suppressing them, and they're not. I mean, you see, they they, they, they see it as, uh, you know, working against the regime or working against the uh, a project. We, there's no intention to work, you know, against projects or against uh, the. Uh, there is no. There's nothing like that. So I think this is something that we they the the governments also needs to understand and be a bit mature in their uh, policy making as well as decision-making, bringing those important uh, observations in. Um, so right now, you have an economic crisis, which uh, need massive amounts of funding. I mean, you need, as I mentioned, about 6.9 billion you need this year. And Sri Lanka not even doesn't have even 2 billion or less right now. So uh, IMF would definitely put things uh, in order, but then the reason that we didn't go for, go, um, go for IMF assistance uh, even several months before is because again, because of the inward uh, nationalist policies of the government saying that IMF would come over and you know, take over the country. Yeah, There'll be a national security issue, just like the MCC, the Challenge corporate. So how did Nepal take? I mean, Nepal was extremely clever. They took the MCC, uh, they had protests, they had issues. But uh, I I mean, the I would uh, praise the uh, Nepalese, the policymakers for bravely taking it, as well as it is a grant, Um, and you could use it the way because we we studied it. uh, We studied the entire report of the MCC. We didn't see any national security threat. So if you go on the national security threat, like for example, even the human rights issue, which is uh, Sri Lanka is having. Right now, if you keep on saying that the LTT is coming back or the Tamil Tigers are coming back, that's that's not true. There is no uh, signals or there's nothing to say that the LTT or the, the But you can keep saying it and propel the uh, you know the nationalists or the ultra nationalists. But there is no benefit end of the day of doing that. While again, the government is requesting diaspora funding. Now here's the thing: so you are asking for diaspora funding to come in while you're not agreeing for devolution of power then you are trying to suppress a certain minority i would say the ngos uh, i was very disturbed to see when the ngo director uh, one of the uh, dr jehanpur uh, recently he wrote a, a piece on uh, colombo telegraph he was mentioning that the the interference of the ngo space uh, we saw it in 2021 research, which I did, uh, how the government, uh, I would say the surveillance or what's going on, but there is no, uh, the end result will be uh, not a positive sign, of course, towards the democratic values, uh, as well as Sri Lanka can, as a small island, uh, an important literal in the uh, the strategic uh, routes of the Indian Ocean can play a huge role. But uh, I think the, it's in, very important that uh, you calibrate this and have a long-term objective policy in place.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that, that perhaps I find most interesting is, you know, on the one hand, you have these authoritarian regimes and Sri Lanka is one of them in that sense that when you look at things like the MCC paperwork, and ask the question and say there's no issues. It's a national security problem and it's clamped down on. But then when you look at Chinese funded projects and ask the same set of questions, you're not even allowed to ask those questions. And that's also a national security problem. And it's like, you can't have it both ways, right?
1: Yeah. So this happened in Sri Lanka. Uh, We had this East Container Terminal tripartite agreement. So the government came and uh, canceled it, saying that because the union leaders came to, the news and said, uh, because of geopolitics, they are against the project. Uh, so I quickly picked it up and I <laughs> mentioned that union leaders don't talk geopolitics. They talk about wages, you know, labor issues. But for the first time, union leaders did speak about geopolitics uh, in a port. But here's the thing, uh, was there a hand from China, you know, to propel those, uh, <laughs> the... so those are the important observations that the government needs to listen to um there are multiple i would say that's why i you mentioned about sri lanka at crossroads uh that's m- my initial work where i try to capture the triple spears of influence in sri lanka so china and india and also the us so the three spheres of influence the the sri lanka is because of the geostrategic position so it's um you know you need to sort of balance and sort of have a sustainable um Policy, which is uh, a long-term policy, rather than sort of you know hedging. Uh, So I mentioned about bandwagoning and hedging, which is done by this uh, this particular government, saying that because the foreign secretary came and said we have India first policy, and then he immediately corrected and said that we have Sri Lanka first policy. So it it doesn't, uh, it it won't work uh, in uh, in this. uh, I think (laughs) especially in in this uh, era. So what, what you need to do is sort of uh, balance it, as well as um, see those strategic dimensions, um, because you're losing a lot by either, you know, calling it uh, national security or calling it whatever. So the, the it's very important that uh, Sri Lanka at least uh, now you know reach out as well as uh, get assistance uh, from multiple countries, advice and um, yeah so that's that's the journey that i see ahead
0: you you mentioned like nepal in 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 this conversation and i always think about bangladesh and their strategy in terms of how they've played sort of the long game and i in the region at least um outside of the sort of you know in, in the middle small powers i find bangladesh sort of following the most pragmatic approach and the most strategic approach that is bangladesh first you could describe it because they're good with the Japanese, they're good with the Americans, they're good with the Chinese, they're good with the Gulf countries. And, you know, there's something to be learned. And perhaps I need to dig a bit deeper into how and why Bangladesh has sort of managed to navigate these waters perhaps better than most other countries in South Asia, because clearly it has worked out. Yes, there are issues with the United States here and there. But I think by and large, they've sort of stayed away from being fully in one camp and being fully captured. So uh, I, I just wanted to mention Bangladesh as, along with your mention of Nepal here as well. But coming back to Sri Lanka, um, you know, obviously state of crisis, IMF, China giving some money. From your point of view, um, what are some near-term things that need to happen? You mentioned the All Parties Conference, which is indeed a positive step, but beyond that sort of stuff, uh, what is it that the government needs to do to perhaps initially stabilize the economy um, and the political economy writ large, and then chart a course forward that perhaps leads to sustainable growth?
1: Immediately the, the country requires a, a course correction because if you, if you militarize, um, keep on doing this and sort of you know, bring, bringing a military uh, footprint, it will erode the democratic uh, fabric. So it'll, it'll have a serious impact for long-term. So you need to minimize that or bring it to, uh, you know, how it was. And they uh, and have checks and balances immediately that the institution's functioning. Uh, so these are, I would say the corruption, for example, the bribery commission uh, that we have has to be independent. So multiple institutions. uh, So the checks and balances are really important for the democracy. Uh, You need, uh, I think um, the, uh, I mean, the human rights issue is a serious concern which needs to be heard. Uh, It has to be addressed. The grievances are serious. So that has to be addressed. The PTA, the Prevention of Terrorism Act, um, you know, that you, you'd have to, the government has to address that. It keeps on delaying, looking at other acts in Singapore, for example, the Harm Harmony Acts and uh, Sedition Acts uh, from Singapore. That won't work in Sri Lanka. If you st- even try to import the uh, acts from Singapore, the, it's how you practice, you know, how you put the law into practice. You can call anybody saying that he's, a, he's against Harmony and lock them up, you already have a PTA, then you bring two others. So countries that are assisting also for these judicial reforms need to be extremely careful. So uh, here is a situation that you need a sort of a delicate balance uh, in the foreign policy, very important. And uh, Chinese, I mean, ambassadors visit to the Northern province, uh, which I have written about, uh, which is on the ORF uh, think tank, which I have written. My observations is a serious issue, how I read it. Uh, so, um, because the Tamilian community, uh, you see, you have a very sensitive um, issue in Sri Lanka, which is uh, we had an ethnic conflict for three uh, decades, almost. You had the, the largest bombing in 2019. So y- you multiple security uh, concerns so you would have to sort of uh, uh, consider all these issues uh, when you're making uh, policies. Sri Lanka has uh, developed uh, I mean these are the achievements I would say one of the, the greatest achievements the country had was we had a national uh, defense policy which was developed and this was developed by the previous government and it was it was approved by the cabinet of uh, the previous government. but what the, the present government is, just locking the document. It's it's uh, it's you know, it's it's basically I- inside the um, the government quarters. So it has to be. Uh, so these things have to be, have an improvement. When you write a policy, it needs improvements uh, every year. Uh, not that each each regime has a policy. So it's a policy to remain. Um, and it, it was written by actually the, the present the army commander was also part of the. Uh, the panel of writing these uh, policies. So the, the thing is, the, the countries like Sri Lanka would need to sort of understand the long-term policies. Uh, the regime would need to see uh, a longer uh, sort of a duration in when you're working on strategic projects. Uh, so these, uh, I think the most important is right now to uh, you know look at the economic, uh, fixing the economic condition because people are dying. People are hungry. Um, I mean, yesterday I was listening to the news and was very sad to hear a mother who was uh, in tears. You know, she doesn't have milk powder to feed. The, she has the money, she wants to buy, it, but it's not available. So the, apparently the the uh, the food has come in or whatever has, uh, the, the consignments have come into the port, but they can't clear it. There is some problem with the uh, authorities as well as... Uh, so that's why I said the the functioning of the authorities, as well as this, all of this has to come in. So uh, I think the immediate course correction uh, with the assistance from outside, uh, you know, outside communities, as well as the experts uh, is required. And uh, definitely India, Pakistan, many other countries, uh, I mean, we have worked, uh, I mean, uh, his brother actually, uh, I mean, Mahinda, I would say, um, I think the political experience, uh, he had that experience. To bring in uh, multiple sort of uh, you know uh, uh, inputs from various so that that is required right now, and the vertical axis which is the six uh, you know family members and all this. so those things have to be addressed too because the senior ministers are not happy so they're resigning, and uh, I mean obviously there is a limit that you can have in the families so we will have the entire so um, <laughs> so it's important I mean the trust is of course. Uh, Gotabe had a military background. Yes, so there is a trust uh, with the military. That doesn't mean that military can do everything. You cannot run economic ministry, you cannot run the uh, essential services. The military doesn't want to do it. I mean, I, was being, I have worked uh, as in, the, uh, in the security think tank. I've worked with the military, all three forces. They don't want to do that. So if you get them involved, that's a different story. So, uh, I think they're they are happy with the defense policies and working with it, and as well as, you know, there is a lot to do. I mean, as a, as a country, an important littoral in the Indian Ocean, uh, the Navy, it's, you know, the uh, building of uh, multiple issues. I mean, right now, um, uh, the, the concerns uh, in the, I mean, the, the focus in the, uh, in, is in the Indian Ocean. So, I think uh, Sri Lanka would need to prepare as well as have a long term strategy.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that on the military side as well is is you can bring them in, but it also causes a credibility problem for the armed forces themselves, right? Because they may not want to take over, uh, but they're forced in that position. And the cost ultimate, which should be political costs, are borne by the armed forces themselves. And that's not good for a country like Sri Lanka, which already has fissures and internal strategic issues and external strategic issues to deal with. Um, and I fully agree with you that dragging them into uh, the day-to-day running of the economy and other parts, of the sec- uh, other parts of the political economy is perhaps unwise because let them do their job. And the more you drag them into it, the more uh, they lose their credibility over time if the crisis continues.
1: If I may add, we actually we are in a reconciliation footing. So after 2009, the country went through a reconciliation program, a national reconciliation. So we, we as a nation are looking at post-war, Reconciliation, healing the wounds, uh, working with the uh, Tamilian community, the you know now with the the, the Muslim, the every all the communities. So, so it's it's on a reconciliation mode. What happened was that you know the the, the ultra nationalist forces always try to hijack this uh, moment. I would say, even the last uh, government had it, the previous government had, the one before had it. There was a moment that uh, you see there is something happening, but then again, the ultra-nationalist forces. This is, this is a common thing, I think, in our region. Then you have a dangerous element coming in. I mean, this is like bombs, which is uh, one of my pieces, which is wrote a quantum of an island. That got more popular than the book, actually. There's one in it. Uh, it is called the Bombs and Elections in South Asia. So I try to look at bombs and elections, whether they have a connection. So these are areas, I think uh, it is a dangerous place, uh, South Asia, when you look at the other parts of the region comparatively. So uh, there, because of the security sensitivity uh, of uh, you know, the countries that we they live in. So we need to improve it. And there is huge, uh, I mean, development bilateral prospects between Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India, Sri Lanka, many, uh, it's not been explored if you look at it uh, regionally. We we are not doing. I mean, regionally we are very poor. The multilateralism doesn't work at all. So there is a lot to be done. And uh, having mini uh we recently had a mini role with India, Sri Lanka, and Maldives uh, on security. Uh, I would want to see a wider sort of not the mini lateral but in a wider scale. So a region would need to function in a way that you know bringing all. Uh, countries in and talking on these uh, sensitive issues of security.
0: Yeah, I think South Asia's uh, tragedy has been that it's the least integrated region in the world. And without integration, you cannot thrive economically, socially, collectively as a society. Um, And that's been the great tragedy. Um, Asanga, this has been a fantastic conversation. Again, thank you for taking out the time. Thank you for explaining to our audience all that is going on in Sri Lanka. It really is a very difficult a period of time for the country and we hope and pray um, that things turn around for the better and then Sri Lanka emerges stronger uh, from this crisis. Before I let you go, I always ask my guests, uh, what are two or three books that you would recommend to the audience It can be on any topic, can be about Sri Lanka, uh, but anything goes. Um,
1: recently, I uh, read uh, The Long Game, uh, an excellent book, uh, Rush Joshi uh, on China, uh, basically. So building, uh, we call it a blunting building. Uh, yeah, so excellent. Uh, how he looks at the Chinese regime. And there are a lot of reference to South Asia, uh, how the BRI and uh, so long game is definitely one of them. Um, one of the books that I've, um, during the, the Ukraine, uh, you know, the the Ukraine war, which is going on right now. So I looked at, uh, on the uh, thermonuclear, on thermonuclear war, which is a very interesting piece of work in 1960s done by Herman Kahn. Um, Herman Kahn is the founder of uh, Hudson Institute and he's a futurist. Uh, So he tried to understand uh, what if uh, two countries possess nuclear weapons and what would happen if they start fighting? Very interesting. you could see different perspectives, you can actually uh, bring in to the present crisis and uh, what's going on. Um, then uh, I would say uh, uh, third book. Uh, I also like uh, Tanri's book, uh, The Faithful Triangle, which I read. Uh, yeah, I think it uh, it's, it's captures um, China, uh, India and US, um, and uh, yeah, so I like that.
0: <laughs> so those are the three. Yeah. We've had Tanvi on the podcast and she's awesome. And oh, I cool. highly recommend, both. I've read both the faithful triangle and the long game and highly recommend those, uh, on thermonuclear war. I think I read excerpts of it in IR grad school classes, but perhaps I need to pick it up and read the whole thing. Um, given the moment in history we're living through right now. Um, but Asanga, thank you again for taking out the time for joining us. Uh, Wish you and Sri Lanka all the best um, and hope that perhaps we get to speak um, in better times for the island nation.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.